oftentimes I bump into people uh, of all backgrounds who I really truly feel are doing God's work. But here uh, for the next hour, we are going to be hearing stories of challenge, stories of struggle, stories of uh, the worst and darkest experiences that young people have. And the person and her team who are on the front lines of showing up for those children. And uh, this is going to be, I'm certain that this is going to be a moving conversation. Uh, And um, I also shared with Katie before we got started that I don't want her to hold back here. I don't want her to be sensitive to listeners or sponsors because there aren't any. But I I want to get very real on the situation at large right now with cruelty among our children. Uh, And we're talking about neglect. We're talking about abuse. We're talking about, um, about worst case scenarios with children and who's there for them when nobody is there, who is showing up and how, what then, how do we heal these children who have undergone unthinkable trauma? Who's willing to do that work? Well, I bring to you Katie Fetzer. Welcome to the Close Quarter Dad Podcast, discussions about raising your kids with confidence, safety, and resilience. I'm your host, Adam Mitchell, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, Katie, thank you so much. First of all, uh, just thank you for the work you do, the human that you are, the mother that you are, and uh, the work that you're doing is, like I said, it's God's work. And I just want to first acknowledge you before we get started in that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Before we jump into some of the hard questions, uh, tell us a little bit about 1018 Strategy. Tell us about the name, how you mm-hmm. came up with it, how you stepped into this work, and uh, what you're mm-hmm. doing right now and what the mission is. Well, the story is long. Um, Ten eighteen strategy was not anything I ever planned to do. Um, I had stepped into this arena of abuse and neglected children uh, about six years ago when my husband and I started fostering and um, was just blown away in shell shock for the first couple of years about how bad the reality was. Um, you just kind of walk around with a deer in headlights because the, the America that you think you know, the community that you think you know, um, that begins to completely change. And you go through what I call a shell shock phase. Um, and then you, you, you're working with a system that, um, you know, there's some amazing people in, but it's also very broken. And so you go through this process of just being shell shocked for a while. And um, so that's kind of how it started. And then we we didn't have a strong foster care community that we could really plug into. So we kind of started creating one um, just because what we found was everyone wanted to talk about the problems and no one really wanted to talk about the solutions. And we just felt like there was a need to create community around people who were focused on fighting for the kids and not the brokenness of what we were engaging. And, um, when you're staring down, you know, the eyes of something very broken, it can be very consuming. And for us to be able to navigate through these complex realities, we needed to be among people that were focused on the child as the first priority, and that there was hope in the midst of this brokenness, and that there were solutions, and that I may not be able as an individual to fix everything, but I can speak for the child that is in front of me. And um, so we didn't really find that anywhere. So we just kind of started creating it with a group of moms. Um, and these were some people involved in foster care. These were some people who weren't. These were some people who were caseworkers. This was people who were um, not involved in the system at all. These were people that had been involved in different judicial levels of the system in different rate, ways through the years. Um, and it was just organic groups of people that just started to form. Some were teachers, some were stay-at-home moms. And just this community started to form and, um, you know, and I, I wanted to do more, you know, and so you, you only have so much capacity to take so many children in your home. It's a very hard, challenging thing to do, which is to foster children from hard places. And so I, I just wanted to do more. So I signed up to be a court appointed advocate and started working with an organization where I was going into the courts and advocating for other children. 
So I began to see a different side of things as well, not just from a fostering perspective, but more from the court process. Um, I loved that, enjoyed that, loved fighting for children and just um, always had this thing in my heart. I always wanted to do more. Um, I had a close girlfriend. I would always tell her somebody, you know, she would say somebody needs to start an organization. I'm like, yeah, you need to go do that. And um, just never was on my radar. My husband was a small business owner and we were just consumed with life. Um, we had opened our home to children with trauma. That is time consuming. It's all consuming. It's um, it's worth it. It is absolutely the best thing that I have ever done. Um, it is you need to be careful in how you do it. Uh, that's one thing we're passionate about as an organization is teaching people how to enter those processes and do so effectively and well. But it actually started with a Facebook post and a member of our state children's division saw it and reached out to me and said if I had any ideas. And I'm like, you don't want to hear what I have to say, um, but we'll talk. And we started to talk and that one thing led to another. And um it was very clear that, you know, the state didn't want to be, couldn't be involved because of politics and red tape. They were very supportive of a lot of the ideas we had, but we knew we couldn't go through state channels. Um, and I didn't want to muzzle on my mouth. And so as a nonprofit organization, I knew that the moment you take state funds, you have, or federal funds of any kind, uh, you have a muzzle on your mouth and you can't serve two masters. And yeah. so who ends up being served? And that's the government. Um, and the people that are lost in that process are the kids. And so we started calling it a child-centered focus. Um, and that was our passion was to put the child first. And so we uh, started 1018 Strategy. Um, the name is based off of Psalms 1018, which says the orphan and the oppressed will be terrified no longer for you will bring them justice and no one will trouble them. And so that's the, you know, the 1018 side of our name. And then the strategy was we just felt like the Lord uh, kept taking us back to biblical passages where uh, there was strategy involved um, regards to um, captives being set free and for the restoration of things that were broken. And so that's the, the correlation of our name. Psalm, you know, 1018 strategy is in God's plan for justice. There is a strategy. There is a strategy to release those who are oppressed and who are bound. And there's a strategy to rebuild those things which have been ruined. Um, so that is uh, our name in a nutshell. It creates a lot of fun topics around our name. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's kind of how we got started. It's wonderful. And we it's wonderful. It's powerful. Moms and decided to get busy. <laughs> Katie, one of the things that I've re I noticed immediately on the 1018 Strategy website is you use the world, you use the word cruelty. It's it's pretty common, and a lot of times we hear in schools we replace the word cruelty with bullying, and bullying mm -hmm. is a word, in my opinion, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this because I bump up against this conversation a lot. And I'm going to be a little selfish here mm -hmm. and I'm going to ask you to give me some of your feedback mm -hmm. because I feel that in schools, when we deal with child on child issues, mm -hmm. it is more accepted because, well, you know, they're growing and this is happening and, you know, bullying shouldn't be accepted, but you know, uh, it, but when you get right down to it, it is cruelty. And that is what we mm -hmm. have to address it as. And, and right. I saw this in the words for 1018 strategy, and I'd like you to talk and bring a little clearer definition to what that means and what we as parents need to look out for. So if we could start there, I'd really appreciate that. Well, that's a, that's a loaded topic. Um, my own kids have, you know, struggled mm -hmm. in school. We actually had to pull our, um, our kids out of a private Christian school just this last year because of um, allowing extreme bullying um, and cruelty between the kids. And then it, they weren't resolving it. And then went as far as to actually try to tell my children that it was good. And if they had the love of Jesus, they would accept that. And, um, and I said, no, you're, you're now not, you know, um, not protecting my child, but now you're changing the definition of who God is to my children. Um, no, we are not doing this. And so we pulled our children out mid-year. We've never had to do that before. 
Um, and that was a, a challenge. Um, so this is something I'm very passionate about. It is it is hard to recognize children um, when they are suffering any form of harm, cruelty, bullying, whatever you want to label it. They don't talk about it. It's not obvious. So you have to look for subtle yeah. signs. So for us as a family, the way this started was it was about two weeks after we started school. Uh, we put a lot of effort into researching this school. We had had a connection with it for years before. Nothing was giving us red flags. But about two weeks after the kids started, we just noticed what we would call chaos on our house. Now, we have four children. We have a very busy life. You know, there's always busyness. There's always a little bit of chaos, you know, just as family life. But this was abnormal and this was escalated. And so I was talking to my husband about it. And I said, this is just not normal. Something is off. And he's like, well, what has changed? And so we started just looking at our lives. What has changed? Anybody new? Anything, you know, any situations that are new? And the only thing new was the kids had started the school. And two of our four had started the school. And so uh, my husband, in his wisdom, said, we need to pay attention. We've learned through the years that when it gets chaos, chaotic with our children, to pay attention. Katie, I really need you to pay attention to what's going on with the school. And so I'm like, okay, you know, that was right. And so we both agreed that we wouldn't just dismiss things. We would ask our kids lots of questions. We would dive in. We wouldn't assume that this great Christian school was getting it all right. We were going to stay engaged. Um, and to me, that's one of the biggest topics relating to cruelty of children, abuse of children, is we are busy adults. We are distracted. We have so many things pulling on us, so much noise in our society that we tend to disengage just sometimes from being overwhelmed, sometimes from being overworked, sometimes with just all the noise. And so the one thing that we've learned through this process as parents is stay engaged. And if we see anything minor with our kids that are even the least bit off, we don't just dismiss it and shrug it aside, go, oh, it's probably okay. We actually purposely focus when we see there is something off, even minor, and we go, okay, we're going to stay engaged. What could be going on here? Now, this is key. We are quick to observe, but we're slow to conclude because our initial thought could be, well, there could be something at the school, but it may not be the school. It may be a person. It could be a number of different things. And so if we're too quick to conclude that something is bad. And in our society, we're very, this is our weakness. Social media has made us quick to conclude. And most of the time, we don't have all of the facts. And so that is something we teach our parents and people that are advocates is be quick to observe, but slow to conclude. And so that was one of those situations where we were observing and going, what is going on here with our kids? And then processes went through and we realized that it was actually at a school level. And so that we had to make a decision. Um, so, you know, this is something we're living every day just because we've helped, you know, bring kids out of horrible situations. The risk to them does not stop. The risk to children is wide and vast. Abuse, exploitation, neglect, harm to children is everywhere we turn and it can get overwhelming but when you know what to look for, those subtle signs, those things are really key. Um, so as an organization, we've created an online training called the Watchful Eye, where we actually teach people the basics of what are the subtle signs of abuse? What are the significant signs of abuse? What are the different types of abuse? And because we know some people have had extensive abuse in their childhood, that a lot of times it's hard for them to engage in these topics because it triggers their own pain. So we have taken the time with all of our collaborators to write our curriculum and structure it in a way that if someone has had significant trauma in their own childhood experiences, that we don't go into unnecessary details, that we separate content out and rate it between like a PG and an R-rated level, so that if you've had extreme abuse in your childhood and you can't go into R-rated material, you don't have to. Um, and so we've done a lot of we've taken a lot of measures to meet people where they are in their ability to process these hard topics, because these topics are hard to talk about. So we tend to disengage and hide. 
And what we're asking the public at large to do is don't turn a blind eye, open your eyes and look, and we will help guide you through these hard realities, understanding that you may have your own trauma factors and we're not here where we don't want to, we don't want to harm you through the process of informing you. And a lot of times in this particular sphere, we give details because it causes a shock reaction by the people who hear it, but it's too much for them to process. I don't want everyone to know what I know. I don't want everyone to see what I've seen. It is hard to process. How do you manage that emotionally? How do you handle that, especially if you have abuse in your childhood? And we do have curriculum in our advocacy training where we teach people how to process those hard realities. How do you process those things that you can't unknow? But the majority of the public can't, you know, they're not in a place to necessarily process that. And that is okay. There are things I don't want you to know because they're hard realities. If you feel called into this sphere and and to do advocacy in a bigger way, then yeah, we can have those discussions when you're ready. But it's a process and everyone's in different stages. Everyone's in a different place in their life. You know, I've met people that kind of started this discussion and they started learning the basics about abuse and neglect. And then three or four years go by and they can handle a lot more salty topics because they've kind of laid some of that, those groundworks emotionally where they can process that information. So we've taken a lot of care in our content not to give unnecessary details so that that we can meet people, all kinds of people where they are. And we can still give them the vital information that they need to protect the children in their life. I just want to take a couple steps back there and acknowledge you for something that stood out that you said, which was we were not going to allow, and as a person of faith, this makes great sense, but it's so strong and it speaks uh, so mm. much to uh, both, I think, yours and your husband's character. Uh, but we're not going to allow them to change the definition of Jesus to my children or, or God <laughs> to my children. And that was yes, like, when you said topic. that, I was like, whoa. Because, <laughs> and, and, and yeah. what's interesting is because it was, it was mm. that that answered my original question, which is, I am, I am curious because a lot of people do not want to make the connection of bullying mm -hmm. to child abuse. They want to kind of keep it over there as its own container and work with it in yeah. its own thing. And this is how we stop bullying. Mm -hmm. But once you start adding it, say, hey, look, it, it is the same family as mm -hmm. abduction. It is in the same family as, you know, child uh, 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 abuse. It is, it is mm -hmm. cruelty. And I wanted to see where you went with that. And I'm so glad because... Mm -hmm. It, that, that one issue and accepting it and not being a, and part of the goal of this conversation and we're at, I hope we can pivot into this shortly is really helping uh, parents identify how they can, and you, you, you sort you began to touch on this, but what mm -hmm. can they do? Like, I've got my own three kids and my life is crazy as it is. I'm trying to get here. Yeah. I'm trying to get there, but, yeah. but like, what can I do to recognize this? And is it, and, and here's, here's what I think, Katie. One of the things that I really try to impress on men in my program is that there are, if we talk about a bullying incident and we mm -hmm. talk about a child who is, who is a victim of peer on peer cruelty, mm -hmm. there is not one victim there. There are, I would argue, there are three, I would argue four victims. There is certainly that mm -hmm. child who is the recipient of that cruelty. But then yeah. there is the children who are sitting in those other seats on the bus day after day being exposed yeah. to it and not knowing what to do and being witness right. to that act, the onlooker. Then yeah. there's that child who's doing the bullying. That's still right. a child. And whether they're exactly. modeling something they see at home or whether it's a social exclusion model that they're trying to act out among right. other girls, whatever it is. We as adults, as parents, need to yeah. recognize that that is still a child. It doesn't dismiss it. It doesn't excuse it. But there's a root cause we have to get after. And then I would argue the fourth victim is going to be the school administrator who's well-intended and well-hearted yeah. and just can't get there in time or isn't yeah. aware of it. That's why it's up to yeah. us, I feel, as parents to be able to do the work that you're talking about, to be able to recognize, to be able to see these mm -hmm. pattern shifts. What's going on here? 
and, right. and take those steps into the discussion. But most of us, we don't know where to begin or what to look for. Right. So I'd like you, I'd like to hear what you have to mm -hmm. say about what I just said. And then maybe mm -hmm. we can shift into what those steps are, because I know with 10, 10, 18 strategy, the first thing that you, you say is like, how do we increase awareness? Right. Right. And, oh, this is such a loaded topic. Um, and I mean, we can, we can dive down into the, you know, the micro and the macro, you know, um, what you can do. Macro is that there's three things that we call people to do within 1018 strategy. And that is awareness. Know what's going on. Know what the risks are. Know that you as a parent and as an adult that cares about children need to be engaged with what's going on. Don't, don't check out, stay engaged. So that awareness piece is really big. Um, we're working on a report that we're going to be releasing by the end of summer, which is going to be revealing um, the research that we've done, skewing over and, and, and dissecting over 20 years worth of federal data about what's going on with children who are reported as abuse and neglect. How many of them are getting help? Uh, so we have you know, tons of research into that. And then we've also gone to people on the front lines and said, what have you experienced to get their statements? And we're going to be releasing an official report the end of the summer uh, to make available to the public. Um, because a lot of times people do want to know what the problem is, but we end up spending so much time talking about the problem, we never get into the solution. And at 1018, we really feel passionate. We need to put our energy into the solution, but we need to publish the problems, the scale of the problems that we're finding. Because you know, there's nearly 8 million children in the United States who are reported, officially reported as abused every single year. Six, over almost 70% of those reports are by mandated reporters. So the majority of these are very legitimate reports wow. that are being made that children are suffering. 8 million, nearly 8 million every single year per year. This is not over a 10 year span. So but 3% of those Katie, can children. You give us that, can the, you give us a little more color to that? <laughs> when you say suffering and what that, what that abuse looks like, what are we, what, what's the majority here? What are we talking about? What's the, um, like, the give us that the, spectrum. Officially, the number one report of, of abuse is neglect. Um, and it's because the majority of neglect occurs due to a parent having a substance abuse problem. That's the majority. If you look at statistically, uh -huh nationwide, what is the biggest majority of abuse? The majority of it comes from a report of a neglect. And then that is most often referred to parental substance abuse of some kind. Um, you know, in these reports that are being made, uh, you know, they go through processes. We as a community and as a nation have been told by our leaders, if you witness abuse, you file a report, we'll take care of it. So we tend to have in our community, well, there's an agency for that. And when we begin to dive into these reports, because on the front lines, we're like, well, yes, there's agencies, but so many of these kids are falling through the cracks. So what are the numbers? And that's kind of what started our digging into the federal reports. And we, what we began to find, which was jaw dropping, is like the, the, the nearly the 8 million that are reported as abused only 3% of those kids end up in foster care, in protective care. So we're talking about 97% of these kids that the community is assuming is being served through foster care services and different types of services. But the majority of these kids are not. They are falling through the cracks. And, um, you know, like in every state is different, but nationally, the average is it takes dozens and dozens of reports before these children receive help. Um, you know, we, we have seen horrific abuse cases where children have died as a result of their abuse. And we've seen reports as high as 60 official reports were made and nothing was still done for these kids. Um, some states are worse than others. What do we but say to the, at what? the end what was that? I'm sorry, Katie. What do we say to the parents who, who might be like, well, not in my community. Uh, this is an inner city problem. This is a rural problem. Uh, this is a reservation problem even, but not, you know, not here in suburban New York or in Connecticut or in Scottsdale, Arizona. Mm -hmm. We don't have that here. Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> and it's <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> um, we do. You just don't know what you're looking at. Because it doesn't look like a child is standing in the middle of the street with worn, torn clothes, 
dirty. We've been given these images through social media and media coverage, all of these children from other countries. So it's very visibly obvious. Great point. In the United States, we have a lot of the same severe injustices to our children, severe neglect, severe um, poverty, severe um, abuse and horrific situations these kids are living in. But they're just they're they're wearing clothes and they're being fed at school. So it's not visible. And so because it's not visible, we tend to go, well, it doesn't exist. Well, no, abuse is not visible. Most often it's not. Some of the most horrific abuse is never seen. And abusers, this is a whole other topic you can get into, is those who are perpetrators of abuse are often not the people you assume. They do not look the way we think they look. We put people in categories based upon visual things, visual cues. We tend to look at things visually and determine what we think about someone within what is it the first 30 seconds. But what you'll find is historically, according to data and research, many of these perpetrators are very well loved in our communities. They're described as charismatic, loving, um, generous, engaged community people. Um, most of our most shocking abuse stories are with people that we would never imagine would be harming children. And often they're in situations where they're around children. And so we, we find ourselves in, because it's not blazingly obvious, we tend to go, there's not a problem. And no, there is a problem. And you know how I can show you it's blazingly obvious? is 80% of all of our top social issues. So drug addiction, crime, human trafficking, homelessness, uh, violence, incarceration rates, 80% of those statistics are connected to adults who were abused significantly as children. So if we wanna see the visible signs, all we have to do is look in our community and look at the destruction in our community, look at the drug epidemic, look at the violence, Look at look at everything that's happening in our communities that we're concerned about. That is from decades of child abuse being ignored. We are seeing it. We're just seeing it manifest wow. into adulthood. We're not seeing it in its in its in its childhood form because children who are abused often are very quiet and it's not obvious. It's very subtle. And so what we're passionate about is 1018 is what it takes. To, to walk a child through a healing process that's very slow, very arduous once they have been abused is a significant amount of time, energy, resources, investment, and services that are needed. But if we can go to the community at large, people like you and me, just everyday people, and say, this is how you prevent abuse. This is some of the subtle signs. This is how you close the doors of opportunity. This is what you're looking for. That you're, you're, it's not about finding um, someone wrong everywhere you turn, but it's about reducing the opportunity for children to be exploited in any form or fashion, any form of abuse, whether that be bullying or whether that be of a sexual nature or whether that be um, a physical abuse or emotional abuse or even spiritual abuse, which is something that a lot of us don't want to talk about. So like Going back to that issue with my son, where someone was changing the definition of who Christ is to my children, that is spiritual abuse. And you will not do that with my kids. And I'm going to call it what it is. And I'm going to show my child who Christ is. And I'm not going to let someone else pervert that image. And then what I did is I sat, he's 13 now, but what I did is I sat him down in front of our watchful eye training and I pulled up the training for him and I began to show him the 12 flags of manipulation. And I said, OK, one by one, we're going to go through these. And I want you to tell me if you've experienced this from anyone at any time. And he began to go through all 12 flags of those 12 flags and point out the things that he knew he was experiencing at school. And he's like, so basically I'm being being I'm being manipulated. And I went, yes. So then as a, as a teen, as a preteen, wow. he can go, oh, I don't want to go to school there anymore. So then it's not just mom and dad making the decision. 
he's making a decision with us that's fully informed. And he's seeing the, 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 the shrewdness of what abuse looks like, the shrewdness of what deception looks like, because it's not obvious. And, you know, um, I don't want to get preachy, but two thirds of the deception of Satan to Eve in the garden, two thirds of that was truth. He only gave her one third of what he said to her was a lie. And we are deceived by partial truth a lot. And so one of the things as a parent, I feel like is really, I'm passionate about is teaching my children to observe partial truth and to observe it myself and to call it out when I see it. This is partial truth. And when there's partial truth, there's deception and there's an opportunity for manipulation and the perpetrator or whoever's doing that, even if they're not bad people, sometimes people just fall into these, these uh, behavior patterns. But anytime I see that and I see those techniques being used, those, those things to change my decisions or change my opinion of things by skewing things, that tells me is not someone I can trust and I need to use guard and I need to use caution. So that was a situation, even in an abuse situation with our older child, like our younger child didn't have the capacity to know that. And in the younger child, we just need to make a decision because they don't have the emotional capacity to do that kind of processing. But our older child, we were able to sit down with him and teach the principles that we uh, teach our adults in 1018, which is this is what abuse looks like. This is what manipulation looks like. And this is why we feel like we need to make a change in your school. And and he got it. Like he went, oh, my goodness, because the person who was involved in a lot of this was very sweet with their words. And just because they're sweet with their words doesn't mean that they're really kind. <laughs> and that's like the issue of cruelty. What is kindness? You know, we just because something sounds sweet doesn't mean it's kind. Could you take that me through uh, when we're talking about the uh, watchful eye training? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it does. It makes it makes great sense, and I love I love the uh, the point that you make about speaking in those half truths or just you know just mm -hmm. just slivers of truth is what I call them because I'm not so sure that people understand how easy it is to manipulate and change a story just by shifting the truth just a little bit, whether it's. Yeah because of your own word. ignorance or because of it's if there's yeah. an agenda or there's one one little shift uh but you're you're so true about that can you step into the watchful eye training uh, and i'm going to share that with all of our attendees here and, and listeners yeah. but what are the three main ones if we could walk away if you know if some you know someone's driving or taking the train to work and they're attending the summit and they're listening to your words what are three things that that are you feel are the priority that they need to own right now? What would they be? The first one is awareness that it's broken and kids are at risk and we need to engage. The second one is that these children need us to be their voice and to be their advocate and to teach and educate ourselves on what we need to do um, to protect them. And that is through resources like the watchful eye training. And then we need to take action. And that is taking action for the children in our lives, but it's also taking action for the children in our community. And, and knowing what those things are is the first step. We tell everyone the first step you take is to understand the basics. And that's through the watchful eye training. Um, and that is going to give you a great foundation of a lot of these principles that are they're so complex. They're hard to teach in a short amount of time. But even the, the online watchful eye training that we do, um, it's 28 minutes long. It's an interactive training. It's not a snooze fest where you're just going to fall asleep to a video. You know, there's Q&As, there's interactives, there's scenarios for you to do. Um, it's very interactive. And then we give you a follow-up training that's only 10 minutes long that says, okay, now that I've, if I witness abuse, now what do I do? Um, and so those are resources that we've provided for people um, that are very simple. We offer, you know, in-person training where we take the watchful eye training and we dive into it in a lot more depth. And that's a three-hour training session. Um, and that's where we do a lot of like scenarios and Q&As and things like that. Uh, but the watchful eye training is a very, very simple 
resource. What we basically um, did through the Watchful Eye Training was we began to find that there were lots of information online, but it was so overloaded with, you know, you could find one website that would go deep into one segment of these issues, but there wasn't really anything that would like give people a simple overview, the big picture. What is it we need to look for? What are your, what are the subtle signs? Like, how does this progress? What does grooming look like? Um, grooming doesn't look like what people are talking about on social media right now. Social media is saying, well, grooming looks like this. Well, there can be aspects of grooming and what you're calling grooming, but no, grooming is very subtle. It's not obvious. Um, and grooming doesn't occur with just the child. Grooming occurs with the entire family. So these are things that we're really wanting to bring resources to the community so that you as individuals, we the people can step up and say, we're going to protect the kids in our lives. And that's that to us. That's what we're the most passionate about is bringing those resources to the to the common person who who has a desire to protect the children around them. Um, and that 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 a lot of that is awareness of breaking that mentality that there's an agency for that. And yes, there's agencies, but not near enough of them of these kids are getting help. And then the second one, again, is that training, that advocacy. How do we what do we do and what do we need to know? And then action. Get involved. Don't turn a blind eye and get engaged. Um, so those are like the three macro. We can definitely dive into the macro, which I tend to do a little too much. But <laughs> so that's a, a lot of a lot of beautiful information there, and uh, and very clear and how we can take some steps forward. In our early conversation before we began recording, Katie, we talked about the uh, role of dads. And I know that this is pretty common. You know, we could say situations in Chicago, for example, with the gun violence and gang violence in Chicago is because of the lack of fathers in the household. But I'm of the mindset that we cannot just speak to that one problem because this is a this is a, 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 this is a child abuse problem. This is a child neglect problem. This is this is across all demographics, all socioeconomic mm -hmm. groups. It's it's everywhere. Um, but I think it's a little bigger than most of us think. And you have mm -hmm. the numbers and the experience to speak with some authority about that. And, uh, you know, with Close Quarter Dad, we're trying to, and the members of this community here and all the other educators and advocates and trainers here, um, we're trying to make that change and share that message. But you are really at the summit here, and you've got a view to the horizon of this problem that we do not have. So I'm wondering if we could step into a little bit of that conversation about where men are failing and what the outcome is and what we can do to move the needle here and make change. Oh, that's a loaded topic. Um, we need, we need men and any society that says that we don't is broken. Um, we need men to not just be present. We need men to be active and engaged and not passive. And the, I would say the, one of the primary things that I see that's concerning is even when I do see many men engaged, they're very passive. And it's normally the moms, the mama bears that I'm talking to. And they're the ones that are just, you know, eat up about what's going on. And there, there's a husband there. There's a, there's a father there, but he doesn't know what to do. Um, and a lot of it, I don't see as men are just horrible people. And that's why we have an issue with passivity. I see a lot of it is we have men who haven't been taught what it looks like to be a father, to be those protectors. Um, and that's something my husband and I talk a lot about when we engage situations um, like we were just talking about another couple that, you know, they're struggling with their marriage issue and um, some issues with parenting. And my husband was like, he just doesn't know how to be a father. He doesn't know how to be a protector. He doesn't know how to be a man. And so, you know, you, you, we as a society can, we tend to just get angry at men if they don't step up in certain ways. Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a single mom household. I saw my, you know, my siblings and I struggle through that. And I, I see, I see that all the time that though the absence of a father, the absence of a male in your life to, to give those guiding, those guidance, that protection, 
is, is huge. You know, I was fortunate enough. I was unlike many of children in that I had a grandfather step into that role and really uh, help us, you know, through those situations and, and learn what what being a, uh, having a male father figure in your life was like. Um, but, you know, to me, passivity and what the root cause of that passivity is, I think, is different for a lot of different situations. Um, but it's time that we get zealous. It's time that we get really passionate. It's time that we we stop with the excuses and we just get passionate and we get sick and tired and sick and tired of what is happening and decide we're going to do something about it. And I see there is a growing movement of men who are getting involved at a community level who are saying, I'm seeing what's happening. I don't necessarily know what I need to do about it, but I'm going to do something. And I'm not going to sit back and observe and watch this anymore. And I'm not going to let, you know, my wife with a bleeding heart for, you know, broken children take this. I'm going to engage. And so, you know, even with 1018, I find myself in situations where I've got businessmen and people of all different types of stature who are actually getting as passionate about 1018 as our mama bears have been because they're just growing. There's something in their heart that is really growing. And when they learn the connection between what's going on in our society and, and all of these different challenges that we're facing and that is really rooted in these decades of ignored child abuse. You know, I, I know one man, he dealt with alcoholism for much of his adult life. And that, that addiction was just a big thing for him. But then when he began to see the correlation between alcoholism and substance abuse and child abuse and child neglect, then he, I mean, he's gotten really passionate about what we're doing because he's like, well, if we can prevent this, that is the key. And that's where the watchful eye training and what we're doing with 1018, like the response, you know, typically we all, most of our organizations are more of a response, a response to the abuse, a response to the harm. And what we're doing is we're kind of raising a flag a little bit and going, yes, we want to be part of that response, but let's prevent this. Let's stop this madness. Let's get involved and help our children not to have to even endure this. Why is it that we're a modern society and we don't have the basic education to our parents about what the risk that their children are facing are? Why aren't we giving our parents the bare basics of what abuse looks like? Um, and yes, there's government websites with all these definitions, but are they user friendly? Are they easy to understand? Are they meeting people where they are? No, they're not. And I'm tired of looking at our government institutions or our nonprofit organizations who are state contracted and receiving government funds to expect them to give the answers we need. No, we need as we the people to step up and get involved and learn ourselves and start with the children in your life. Start with the children in your immediate family. So, you know, as a family, we go, our kids, that's our number one priority. We keep them safe. And then, okay, the kids in our extended family, how can we keep them safe? What are things that we're concerned about that we can look out for? And plus one more. And so that's something that we're just passionate about. Is it's If we only have 1% of our adults in the United States get involved and say, I'm going to be in a watchful eye to seven kids and I'm going to look out for them and I'm just going to look at what I can do to prevent harm to them, then every child in America would have a caring adult looking out for them. That that is so simple, and we get so caught up in the in the in the complexities and the brokenness that we can't see what's right in front of us. And the solution is us. If if the government said tomorrow that they were going to revamp the entire foster care system, which does need to be done, by the way. But if they said we're going to revamp it all and we're going to quadruple our response in the number of kids we're serving, we're still talking only about 12% of our kids who are being reported as abused getting some significant help. 12%. This is bigger than any government. This is bigger than any organization. This is going to require us as people, as large movement that says, we're going to do something about this. And it doesn't take the majority. It takes 1% of us to say, I am going to do something. 
I am going to get involved. I'm going to educate myself. I'm going to prevent abuse as much as I can with the children in my life. And, you know, you may say, well, I'm single. I don't, I don't know any children. Well, who do you go to church with? Who are your coworkers? Who are your friends? You are surrounded by children every single day and you don't even know it. And just start looking and, and, and watching out and watching the interaction with children. And, you know, we as a neighborhood, we have a situation where there is a child in our neighborhood that we were concerned about. So as neighbors, we just band together and we said, we're going to keep a watchful eye over this child. Now, it's it's one of those things We're we're quick to observe. We're slow to conclude. We're not concluding any significant harm to that child. But as neighbors, we're saying we're not going to turn a blind eye. We're going to watch over this child and make sure that child is safe. And we hope we never have to report an issue. But if anything comes up that looks as though that this child may be in a situation that's not safe, we are going to take action. So that education piece is huge, 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 because it empowers you as people to, 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 to do something instead of just sitting back hearing about the problem. You are the solution. And that's what our big message with 1018 is, is the government's not the solution. Organizations aren't the solution. The people are the solution. And we can do something. Amen. <laughs> Katie, I have a question, and I want to be sensitive of time because we're coming up. Uh, we only have about uh, 10 minutes here left together. Um, mm -hmm. As a, an adoptive mom, and I, you know, we touched on that for a second, but I, I just want to make sure mm -hmm. those of us who are in our community here today in, in part of this conversation, they understand that you're not just an adoptive mom, but you're an adoptive mom of children of trauma. And, and you run this organization uh, who day in and day out works with children who are abused and neglected. You understand a dimension to this problem that most don't. You're concerned about your workers and the people who are on the front lines and how they process this. Um, you know, mm -hmm. from first responders to the advocates, to the therapists who are witness to what these, some of these mm -hmm. children have to go to. But I'm really urged to ask you, how do you process this? And how do you show up as a mother, as a leader, as a woman, uh, and stay vigilant mm -hmm. and, and, and as strong as you are? Well, that's a, it's, it's, it's been a, a, a journey. Um, and the only way I know to do that is to go to the Lord. Um, and it started out, I, I, I came into some information that was just abnormally hard to process. And I was walking around the house in tears for days. Um, and I mean, we've, we've had a lot. I've, I've, I've seen a lot. I've, um, but this, this was abnormally horrific. And I was just buried and I just kind of closed my eyes and I just like, Lord, <laughs> what do you do with this? What do you, what do you do with this? And in the moment, I just, I just kind of had this vision of a judge's bench and I had this stack of papers in my hand and he said, Katie, give me the evidence. And so I just put it up on the judge's bench and I said, okay, here, you can have it. And then in that still small voice, he just spoke to me and he said, Katie, I will hold account all the evidence and all that is unknown and unseen. I see it all and I will hold account to all of it. And there is something really powerful when you put your faith in the justice of God, because the justice of this earth will always disappoint the justice of human beings, of governments, of judicial systems will always disappoint you. And when you are faced with some of the most horrific things, trusting in a just God who sees and will hold account in his time and his way is the only way I know to release that. And it, and, and when you release that and you realize it's bigger than you, it's, it's you, no matter how vigilant, no matter how passionate you are, you could go out and storm 
everything. You could become this huge megaphone for injustice on all different levels, in all different situations. You could give your life to it and you still are never going to completely be satisfied with the justice of the earth. Our hearts were made to receive justice. Our hearts cry out for justice because that's how we're made. There's a phrase by an author that I really like. Her name is Shelley Hunley, and she wrote a book called The Cry for Justice. And in this book, she has a phrase, and it says, the human heart was not made to comprehend the horrors that hell has invented. And when I read that, I, I, it spoke to me. And it's like, I'm not made to comprehend. I'm not made to figure this out. And one of the big things that when we see injustice, when we see horrific things, we try to figure it out. We try to analyze it. We try to answer the big question of why did this happen? The issue is, is evil is evil. It doesn't need a reason. It's just evil. And it, it, and if you try to go down that rabbit hole of figuring those things out, why? If you start trying to ask those why questions, you can easily go down that rabbit hole and never come back up. And so for me, um, I don't, I can't ask why in a lot of regards. I just have to look at what's in front of me and go, I can't comprehend this. I'm not made to comprehend this. I'm not made to process this. What I am made for is to to get involved. What I am made for is to be a voice. What I am made for is, is to call it out and call evil good or call evil evil and good good. And we're living in a time where we're opposite of that. We're calling evil good and we're calling good evil. And that's those are very dangerous things. And it's time that we raise up with a voice and that we call it what it is. And that, you know, it's like what you're saying with bullying. Well, no, bullying is a form of abuse. This this is what it is. You can sugarcoat that turd all you want, but it is what it is. And so um, that's a, a phrase that we use a lot is, you know, um, in our organization is you can sugarcoat this all day long. It doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change the reality. So let's just call it what it is. Stop trying to ignore those facts and and process that. Um, and I know for some people, you're, they're, they're, because of their own um, struggles with God or their own struggles with their own journey, you know, some of what I'm saying might be hard for them to receive. And all I can say to anyone, no matter what the injustice is, all of us have experienced some form of injustice in our lives. Some, yes, have been more extreme than others. But your your heart and the way you process that injustice is very much the same. And that's what unites us is that when we feel injustice, our hearts grieve and our hearts need to know how to process that. And the only place that I have found to be the best place to go with those injustices is before the just judge, the perfect one, the perfect one who can render all wrong things right. That is what justice is. And that's what that's who he is. And when I take those matters before him and I release it to him, I have seen some of the most horrific situations, the most impossible situations where children were in situations where they were harmed, but they were still being harmed by a broken system. And there was no justice in sight when I would take that situation before him and release it to him and go, I don't care what the judges of the earth say. I am waiting for your verdict over this child's life. I will stand in the gap and believe that. Then what we saw so many amazing things. We saw so much miraculous things happen in the midst of the most broken and horrific places by staying true and holding on to that justice. And that's the only thing that I, that's the only way I know to process it. And um, that's, wow. everyone's going to have a different take on that and a different opinion on that. Um, but for me, that's, I have to trust him. He hold, he sees it all. He knows the things we don't know. And he will render a perfect verdict. Wow. That's, uh, it's extremely powerful. And I, I agree. Uh, and, and hear everything that you're saying with such beauty. It's, uh, I, I can't imagine not having such a strong testament of faith as you have and being exposed to what you have uh, and how critically important that has to be. So thank you for sharing all of that with me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
Katie, the la last thing I have is, you know, I'm, we talked about the watchful eye training and mm -hmm. I'd like to know just quickly before we wrap up here, what can some of our viewers and listeners and audience, what is the first step that we need to take? Uh, and I'd like to also know what that step can be if, if we feel a strong alignment to 1018, how we can support and be active mm -hmm. in your organization, but within our first mm -hmm. community within our own communities and not to sort of be mm -hmm. redundant because I know you have stepped into that twice here in this conversation, but really what do you want to urge men? Uh, and, and you shared with us the importance of men right now, but what, like if you could just, just give us a swift kick in the ass, what is that? Uh, and, uh, and then share with us how we can uh, get in contact with 1018. Uh, the swift, the, the swift kick would be, um, don't leave it to the women and to, to don't leave it to the women. Don't assume the women have got it, that the women are going to protect the kids. Um, don't, um, we need you to be protectors and, um, you know, I, I could go on about that, but to me, that's the swift, swift thing. Uh, yes, women are capable. Yes, we're strong. We're we can do all these things, but there is something powerful when a man steps in and he and he takes an active role in children's life. I've seen this time and time again with children um, in, in different situations that when a, a man is present and a man is engaged and a man is strong and, and strong in that not in an abusive, oppressive way, but strong in a um, constructive way. And, and, and men are very strong and they, they bring so many gifts and elements that women, um, we just bring different things. It, and it's not that one is bad and one is good. It's that we just bring different elements. And when you're missing men in that piece, it's really a void for, for these children. I mean, scripture's clear. Identity comes from the father. Why does identity come from the father? That means as a mother, I can love my children. I can protect my children, but there's going to be a, their identity is rooted in their relationship with their father. So even if I, you know, don't necessarily agree with him on everything, I need, I need to support that relationship. I need to encourage that because their identity of who they are is going to be coming from that father figure. And, you know, and, and, and the thing is, is my husband is strong with our children in ways that I am not, but that's because he he's a man <laughs> and and it's and we're different and we we do things differently but it's not because one of us is wrong and one of us is right it's that we're designed by god with different roles and and children need these roles and they need us to be a nurturing and compassionate and tender but they also need strength and direction and discipline and you and when you're missing that it becomes imbalanced we know that statistically whenever you remove a male positive influence in a child's life, all of these things go, go scurry. I mean, they just, they do. So to me is don't leave it to the women. I mean, that's, that's the big thing for me is, is yes, you guys get involved. I mean, we, we set up at 1018, three different ways. You can share the cause um, and there's different ways you can share that. And that's by, you know, sharing what we're doing with 1018 you can um, you can serve the community that's practically like volunteering, fostering, getting involved, being a mentor, being an advocate. And then you can support the mission, which is some some men are like, I'm just really passionate. I want to financially support what you guys are doing or I want to sponsor an event or things like that. There's 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 so we've laid out three different ways, you know, share, serve, support. And um, they're very, very simple for you guys to get engaged and to get involved in your community at a community level. We're working on things that you can do. Uh, we have 10 different ways to get involved with us. And then we're working on 18 different ways that will be coming out soon that you guys can get involved with the community in your own region. And so those are things that we're working on and, um, you know, wanting to give those resources to you guys so that you guys don't just hear this and turn it off and go, oh, that was really cool. That was really informative. No, get involved. The sake of our nation's children and our future as our country is dependent upon it. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Katie. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I want to thank you again for the work that you do with 1018. I want to thank you for all the lives that you have uh, changed in the world and uh, the, the work that you do. 
You know, I was thinking as we were having this discussion how I was going to end this. And, you know, I want to say God bless you, but when I say when I say that, I realize that God has blessed us with you. And uh, I mean oh, that from the you. bottom of my heart. The work that you do is just, um, is just truly amazing. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you mm-hmm. um, and making sure that our group and our community can continue to support the beautiful work uh, that your organization does uh, into the future. So thank you so much, Katie. Thank you. I want to thank you for spending time with us on this episode today. It's truly appreciated. I hope you got some value from it. If you want to go ahead and leave any comments or questions, reach out to me directly. I personally answer all of the questions that you have. If you know someone like yourself who may find value in this episode, then please go ahead and share it. We'd also like to ask you to subscribe to Close Quarter Dad. This way you get updated every time a new episode comes out wherever you're listening to this episode. Thank you so much once again, and we'll see you on the next episode of Close Quarter Dad.